Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Yeah, last 48 hours have felt like five or six days, in my opinion. It's been crazy. Uh, I have intentionally tried not to ride the roller coaster ride of emotions that previously I would say that variance was maybe five to seven days. You know, five to seven days, good news. Five to seven days of thinking that there's no chance we're going to get college football, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it seems like that window of, <laughs> of roller coaster ride has only shortened, and it's been a crazy time period. But we address you tonight on a Tuesday night. Ever so fortunate to be able to do so, thanks to our good friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. We'll try to give you our idea as to what the landscape looks like right now, uh, what we can expect. Kind of a, a quick fire take, not necessarily a true instant reaction, but uh, back again is the null cast, and uh, we'll start from right now. Looking forward to it, man. This has been a really... Uh really weird 48 hours for me. Sunday night, I was pretty depressed. Uh, you know, I, I had spent some time with my family on Sunday. It was great seeing them. And uh, my colleague, Josh Pate, texts me and he's like, hey, let's do a uh, let's do a, a video. You know, this might be the end of college football for this year. And I was like, hmm. Kind of been off Twitter most of the day. You know, kind of kind of taking it easy on, on a Sunday. And uh, then we got caught up on all, all the Big Ten stuff. And uh, ultimately, Monday was a little bit better. Today, Kind of depressing that that the Big Ten and Pac-12 elected to postpone uh, their seasons for, uh, for to try and play in the spring, which I'm kind of skeptical that that will do. Uh, but tonight, some good news. Multiple reports out there. Pete Thamel of Yahoo. I, I think uh, you know ESPN as well. The Big Twelve says, "Let's ride. Let's go ahead and play." And by my math, I mean, I, I'm a state grad. Obviously, so three verse two is better than two verse three. That's ACC, SEC, Big Twelve saying they're going to try and do this thing, and they're they're going to soldier on. A brief discussion, probably open the show tonight. I think is warranted about like why the Big Ten and the Pac twelve would put out schedules and then a week later cancel their seasons. First of all, they wanted to try to plan for a season if there was any possible chance they could pull it off. Second, I think this is important because it's going to tie into some things we're going to talk about tonight. Myocarditis. Myocarditis is an inflammation of the heart, best I understand it. And it does seem like uh, having COVID increases your chances of having that. They're not totally sure kind of how long you might be in range to have it. And obviously, if you have an inflamed heart playing college football or any type of contact sport, it's probably not the best idea uh, for you. When we talk about liability, this is what we're talking about. We're not t- talking about the liability of catching COVID because you were at Florida State or, or at one of these schools, right? It, even with the best contract tracing in the world, it, it's tough to determine and attach liability of, of where you caught this thing, especially when it's a, a worldwide, you know, global pandemic, right? Good, good luck with that. However, playing a kid or practicing a kid, I think this is important here because we're talking about the canceling practices, not, not just canceling games in the Big Ten. Practicing a kid in a contact sport who's had COVID, who might have myocarditis, that, you know, if he all of a sudden drops dead of a heart attack, it'd be tragic. It would also be a pretty huge liability issue for you as a school or, you know, if you have a bunch of them as a conference. And so I think that's really what has the Big Ten uh, and Pac-12 scooped if you want to find kind of a football or liability reason uh, to do it. Now, there are other kind of trains of thought that I know you subscribe to, and I think I'll subscribe to about sort of reasons like maybe you don't want to capitulate to what looks to be a burgeoning pseudo union that players seem to be forming. And I think that's probably also uh, true. But tonight, 
as we record this, and I, I try to future-proof these pods as best we can, next step in this process looks like the Big 12 is going to release a schedule. ACC's already already put one out. So is the SEC. I'm excited for this, man. Like It looks like we're going to at least attempt to play. Florida State is having camp today. They had a forum on their campus uh, in the indoor practice facility with Governor Ron DeSantis and President John Thrasher, A.D. David Coburn, Mike Marvell, a couple players. I, I'm, where, where, where are you right now? What, what, what are your thoughts on this? I, I, we, we got a lot of stuff to hit. I would say that I have been positioned fairly consistently in the pessimistic camp as to whether or not we were going to play college football this year at all. It doesn't, certainly doesn't mean I've been rooting for it or trying to you know, bang people over the head with my personal opinion. Uh, but I, I feel more optimistic at this point. I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's science and there's ever evolving information, but absent something that's, um, you know, totally unknown currently as far as, like you said, with the myocarditis or permanent damage to lungs or something that we see information that hasn't been already introduced. Uh, I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. But in my opinion, it certainly looks like we've reached the point where these institutions have decided to or not to. I mean, if you're not, that's why I was kind of confused today. And you're, you're damn right. I, uh, I'm not a mathematical genius either, but I will say that three is better than two uh, when it comes to the participating number of conferences. But like the reports that, oh, well, if the Big 12 backs out, well, then the ACC may back out shortly there afterwards. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But at this point, I think if you're a conference and you're making your decision, I wouldn't make my decision dependent on what somebody else is doing. I, I think you have to make your, your decision firm in the belief that you can provide uh, a, a safe environment for the athletes and it's possible to participate. And if you come to that conclusion, then I don't think we should be concerned about what, what, whether or not Texas Tech's going to play football or not. I agree with you. I think it's a positive, uh, a very positive thing that we can sit here tonight and it looks like the Big 12's going to play. I, I think that this may be the first time I've been all summer, bud. I think we're more likely to play than not at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not guaranteeing it, but I think we are reaching that point in time. I mean, you've you've had these student athletes, uh, I say that term kind of half-winking at you, uh, go through all these protocols. They've been relatively successful. Yes, we had some major flare-ups at Clemson and LSU and stuff like that originally, but it looks like most of these schools have figured out how to do it. I just think you're going to commit the resources that are necessary to, to play this season, or at least certainly try to play it. Um, and I think you have to, you have to do it. And you have to kind of, you know, obviously football is the most important thing, but starting to get into the point in the calendar where you're looking at this bleeding into basketball and other sports like that. So um, if there's no football and obviously there's bigger concerns than just money, but money plays a big role in this. If there is no football and we start to get to any point in time where it looks like there may not be an NCAA basketball check, uh, oh boy, uh, I don't know anybody that's going to be in a good place financially. So it's uh, it's an interesting situation, but I am uh, filled with a level of optimism that maybe I haven't been previously. It doesn't mean that I think it's necessarily the right thing to do. Uh, personally, I don't think my opinion on that matters. I have a vested interest <laughs> through this podcast and other things where I would certainly like to see college football take place. I'm also not a health expert. Uh, so I don't think my opinion is necessarily valid on this, but I do think that what I see is three conferences that are hell bent on playing. And I think that they're going to try to do it. I, I do want to push back up or, or push back on one thing. And people 
if we ever get criticism on the show, uh, it's because when I'm tired, I mispronounce the word other, but also because once in a while, uh, we agree too much. And so I do want to push back on one thing. I, I do think that other conference decisions actually do have an impact on the remaining conference. And, and it's for this reason, liability. And basically being like like on an island in the spotlight. So let's say that it comes down to it and everybody but the SEC cancels. Like the spotlight on the SEC as far as their liability increases dramatically. Because if something goes wrong, what they're going to say is, wait a second, 100-something teams in FCS canceled. All of D2 canceled. All of D3 canceled. Okay, you can make the argument they don't have the resources to do the testing like, like you guys have. Fair enough. The MAC canceled. The AAC canceled. Mountain West Conference canceled. Again, hypothetically, some of those leagues have not canceled yet. Pac-12's out. Big 10, which makes more money than you guys, they canceled. And they're in states that are less affected, largely. They, they decided to cancel. ACC was out. So was the Big 12. You guys played. There's kind of this, this, this notion of an industry standard. Are, are, are you complying with, with, with the industry standard as far as you know, liability and you know, culpability there? If you're the only one doing it and it goes wrong and there's pretty obvious information why everybody else was not doing it, you look really bad. So I do think there's safety in numbers. Yeah, I agree with you there. I also would counter by saying that basically what you just said is already true. It's just one other conference that's not playing right now. So if you want to make that same argument, and now granted if it's the Big 12 ACC and SEC, You'd have three, but you can make that same argument that the Ivy's canceled, that the Big Ten's canceled, that the Pac-12's canceled. So I think, I think you've kind of already crossed that. <laughs> I think you've already kind of crossed that barrier where you're 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 absorbing a whole lot of legal risk. But this is what you think uh, you, you want to do. I'm uh, I, you know, I'm not trying to turn a disagreement into an ag- agreement with each other because we have a little bit of a difference of opinion. But I think that uh, at this point you've assessed the landscape of liability and you've decided to move forward. I don't think the fact that whether or not Texas Tech plays football uh, really changes your liability uh, perspective, but you're right. It would be yet another conference that chose not to. To me, what, what the PAC 12 did, I'm not really sure that it matters all that much because the PAC 12 is dealing with like some extremely stringent state regulations out there. Like UCLA is not even allowed in their football building yet. You know, I mean like that, they were in no position to have a season anyway. That was the one that I was like, wait a second. Like, they're going to put out a schedule. I'm going to write about the schedule. That's my job. However, like, if, they're, if they can't even, like in California, UCLA, USC couldn't even practice with a ball yet because of, of local regulations. So if, if the Big 12 did go the wrong way tonight, I, I think I'd be in a far different mood because it, like the Big 12 states, their excuse would not be the impracticality in addition to the liability, right? like the impracticality of complying with local regulations that you would have in the Pac-12. Here, like the Big 12 would be like, we're, we're canceling because of the danger. And they're not doing it, at least not, not right now. I also took, I want to push back on another thing you said. Like right now, and it's not really pushback, it's just sort of a kicking it down the road a little bit. They are doing a tremendous job handling cases right now. Like I think Louisville had 100 tests today and, and zero Positives. Several letters have had no positives in like over the last couple of weeks. They're doing a really good job, and yet, I think it was Ed Orgeron today on ESPN who said it. Like we know we're going to have flare-ups when the general student population returns to campus. That's why we pushed our season back to September 29th or whatever date the SEC chose. Similarly, 
the ACC. They did not push back that much, but they do have multiple open dates. And like they, they put win percentage as the deciding factor, not total wins, but win percentage because they, they're very aware that some team might only play five games in the fall. There, there's all kinds of reasons why I don't think the spring season is that feasible, to be honest. Most notably, we go in front of Congress this year as a sport for name, image, and likeness in 2021. And it's not a great argument to sell that they shouldn't be allowed to have name, image, likeness in, in full. Uh, when you're asking them to play 20 plus games in a calendar year <laughs> when none of the pros do that. I think trying to play in the fall, if you can do it at all safely is, is the right call, but Florida State will have flare ups. So what were you pushing back on what I said exactly there? Well, no, I, I just, I, I worry that like, I don't want to basically make the argument, Hey, we're doing such a good job controlling it right now. It clearly shows we can control it. Like there's going to be some backsliding on that when students come back to campus. I think what we are showing right now is once we get campus controlled, we can maintain it within a certain level. And you can't bubble these guys officially, right? The NCAA does not allow for player dorms. That, that was a ruling we got, you know, many years ago. Uh, but you can kind of pseudo bubble these guys. Most of them take a lot of online classes. I don't know if people realize that, but like the days of seeing players in your actual classrooms, it's not over, but there's, you know, it's not as popular as it used to be. Like there's a whole lot of guys who take majority online classes uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I think you could, I think you could kind of pseudo bubble these guys on campus and, and avoid having, you know, ha- having too many breakouts. As long as you're, as long as you have rapid testing, which it seems like some of these schools uh, do have. So, where do you want to go from here? You want to talk about the uh, little meeting they had in the IPF today? You, you, you want to, you want to talk about something else? I, I think we have got a lot of stuff we can hit. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, the interesting collection of individuals who met in Florida State's IPF today. You had the Florida governor, you had Florida State's uh, president, uh, the athletic director, a couple of players, as you said couple different things that, that I took out of that uh, that was interesting. I mean, I found it interesting that DeSantis was saying that he will, you know, encourage uh, any and all players to transfer to Florida schools, which is kind of a hilarious dream of, uh, I think, all sorts of Florida State fans that you'd be able to add Justin Fields and, you know, three or four various Big Ten linemen to this roster. Uh, but I, I think it's just kind of a reference as to the level of importance that is put on uh, this happening for this community, for this school, for this state, uh, for this region of the country, all these little, you know, the Tuscaloosas and Athens and Tallahassee's and Clemson's of the world, where uh, even though this obviously will be far from a traditional college football season, it's still such a vital lifeline to, uh, to the economics of the area. And, and I, you know, I'm more than aware as to the imbalance that exists in this equation for some of these players, but, I do think that the universities and the conferences that move forward, whether it be for liability reasons or for, you know, the general want and well-being of their athletics, have uh, a fairly significant plan in place to try to move forward and and to try to safeguard their athletes as as much as possible. And I don't say that from a naive perspective at all. I I know damn well why they want to, uh, but I I think that you're going to have support uh, at the, from a government, whether it's uh, the president on Twitter or the governor of Florida appearing in the IPF today, uh, for college football to move forward. Now, how important that is in the long run, we'll see. Uh, but there's certainly the support there to do it. 
Like I, I totally agree with you. I, I another reason why I am kind of growing in confidence that like these are the states who are going to play, or these are the conferences who are going to play. I, there is a political element to it, right? And yes, I trust Florida State's plan. I, it seems to be pretty comprehensive. They they went out of their way today uh, to absolutely like to mention that they do the the heart monitoring and testing. When, when a guy has COVID, like it seems like they've already been aware of the issue and that like they and other S or other ACC teams are already doing that, which is encouraging, right? Like, like there, it doesn't seem like they've been taken off guard by the, the potential for, for myocarditis. And the real key there is like if somebody's still in, in the range for which they're, they're you know, in danger of, of suffering from myocarditis, you can't be playing them because they could have a heart attack and die. So. Like getting that right is really important. It does seem Florida State is right on that. But politically, like if I told you, Ingram, you have to pick three of the five conferences that you think are going to play college football in the fall. Do you think you would have said SEC, Big 12, ACC? Like ACC was kind of the one that I would think because of the Syracuse, Boston College, Virginia, you know, and the triangle, right, with, with, with Duke and them, and maybe a little bit of, of a concern. Uh, and maybe you could have told me Big Ten because there were a lot of Big Ten states that didn't have any COVID. Like Nebraska has like, like four cases, not, not on the team, like in their state. You know, that, that's, that's not true. But like they, they don't have very, you know, very many. Well, they're going to be playing in the SEC anyway. So. Well, right, of course. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, Huskers and Auburn and, and that'll be uh, – or I want to see Huskers-Tennessee, like two teams that haven't won anything in a long time. Uh, that, that'll be interesting. But I, I do think that – there's a lot less political pressure on these teams in these states to not play. I mean, you, these are largely states where the governors have been pushing to reopen. You know, they have not they have not had to roll back on on their reopening plans very often. I mean, some of the some of the mayors in these cities have, but for the most part, these are red states across SEC, ACC. And Big 12, they're going to back their, their school presidents if the school presidents say, hey, we kind of want to play. We know it seems kind of dangerous. Like, hey, Governor, do you, do you have our back here? He's going to say, yeah, I do. I, I, I absolutely do because that's something that, 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 that I believe in. And DeSantis seems like he is a huge sports fan. By the way, he actually played baseball at Yale. I, I, I didn't know that. But uh, Barton uh, pledged the same fraternity. My co-host partner on Barton and Bud, uh, he, uh, he actually pledged the same fraternity that DeSantis was in. When, uh, when Barton was a freshman at DeSantis, was a senior there at Yale. Uh, so some quotes to, uh, to, to share uh, from that, obviously. Uh, uh, this is integral to young men and women here at Florida State and across the state of Florida. I thought that was a pretty good one. They, they repeatedly noted how much the, the players and coaches all want to play and want to coach, which, sure, fine. I mean, I, I think it's important that the players, if they want to play, they say that they do. Uh, I did have an official at a different school tell me that uh, – these kids are not as unified at one, about wanting to play as, as maybe the public-facing ones, and the ones who aren't sure they want to play are a little bit scared to kind of be out there publicly tweeting about it, you know, but they've had a lot of internal discussions uh, where some of the kids are scared uh, to, to play because, because of the unknown. Um, I, I like this one from, uh, from Thrasher. He said, quote, We know we can do it safely. What we frankly want to do is send a message to some of the other schools that may be teetering on whether or not to play football. We think it is in the best interest of our student athletes for us to play football. We can do it safely. We can do it productively for them. 
as well as for the absolute culture of our university and certainly this community of Tallahassee, we are ready to do it. And so it seems like Florida State has been one of the leading schools out there within the ACC lobbying its other members to go ahead and go forward with the season. We, we, we know from our sources that Florida State is like absolutely gung-ho about playing this season. And, and they were one of the ones that was, or that were the most angry about the SEC's decision to, to not play those, not play any non-conference games. So FSU is, is certainly all in on this, man. They, they are, are chips in the middle of the table. Yeah, they are. And that, I mean, the part of the reason why I, I think you're to go back to what we were saying. I think you're absolutely right. The big 12 SEC would have been the easy one. Uh, the reason why I would have picked the ACC over the Big Ten is because, uh, kind of what I said a second ago, so many of these ACC schools are still their local economies are so much more dependent upon sport. Whereas, uh, you know, when you think about uh, Detroit and, and some of these other schools, like the idea that, oh, uh, Saturday, a Saturday football game didn't come through is not necessarily felt uh, at the level that it is otherwise. And the fact that, uh, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, and, and Florida are as red as they are, and those are still, um, as much as we may feel cast off by the the insider uh, elements of the triangle, that's still a pretty important uh, three schools when it comes to the makeup and the decision-making of the ACC when you look at Tech, uh, Clemson, and Florida State. So, uh, yeah, Florida State's all behind it. The ACC's all behind it. Um, we'll just keep our fingers crossed that hopefully the right decision is made and uh, everyone's given an environment that they can participate in safely. And you know, obviously we're not unbiased in that, but hopefully that uh, ultimately ends in a situation where we can watch college football in some form or fashion. You know, what had me like the most excited today. I, I, I think aside from the big 12 thing, obviously uh, was it the medical report out of Durham. Yeah. Do you remember the team? That was the first to pull out of the ACC basketball tournament. And we were kind of candid about this, kind of not candid about this. Uh, Duke's been a school we've been worried about for about eight weeks now. I mean, there's been maybe even 12 weeks. There's been real, real areas of concern uh, about Duke and maybe Wake, maybe Virginia. Um, so, yeah, I, I saw that. And, of course, Syracuse, BC. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. I was. T- I saw that. I thought the same thing that I think you did when, when I saw that medical report from the Duke doctor. So Duke's uh, Duke's medical guy is the he is the the, the chair of the ACC medical committee uh, on COVID. That, that's not the exact name, but basically, uh, quote: I do believe you can sufficiently mitigate the risk of bringing COVID onto the football field or into the training room at a level that's no different than living as a student on campus. He says, "All right, Dr. Cameron Wolf of Duke. That is very encouraging if you're rooting for football this year." Uh, and just as important is that it, like you said, it comes from Duke. Uh, the real worry was that like Duke could pull out. And then if you have one triangle team pull out, you probably have at least one more. And then you got Syracuse, BC and, you know, maybe you get Virginia to pull out. And then all of a sudden, like, are you really going to play the year w- w- with just nine of your 14 teams? Although I guess 10 of your 15 now, because, because Notre Dame, this is encouraging, man. Not going to lie. Like that is encouraging news for the ACC for him to come out and say this. And this is not a guarantee that we play, okay? If if tomorrow we have a new study come out, and there are new studies coming out every single day about this stuff. If tomorrow a new study comes out and they say, hey, guess what? Uh, we actually cannot ascertain when you're clear of myocarditis, even with a heart scan, until like 120 days after you've been clear of COVID. Then it might be a wrap. As of right now, kind of encouraging today. 
some real information about the severity, the length of impact. I think we're headed in a trajectory that would see us playing college football. So uh, you mentioned the events at the IPF today. We know that, uh, that Governor DeSantis is a, a rumored listener of the Nolcast and, and maybe even a rumored reader of your material. One thing we know that is not rumors is that he's a fan of the For the Table restaurant uh, groups. And so uh, maybe he and Thrasher were able to take advantage of Madison Social and Township there. Uh, if they have such an event in four or five days from now, they'll also be able to return to a favorite place of ours uh, known as Centrale, a fantastic Italian place there tucked right behind Madso. Uh, three great options for people that have been with us since day one. Fantastic support that they've given the Nolcast, fantastic support uh, that you, the listeners, have given them. We'll point you again to uh, madisonsocial.com backslash Nolcast for a great T-shirt and hat that are available uh, so we thank our friends over there. Wish them the best of luck and look forward to seeing Matt and his team as soon as possible. I root for college football back, but I, but I really root for those guys too, to, to, to get through this thing. And, and like they're, they're a model of what a small business should be, you know, and, and they, they've persevered through this and I, I just can't wait for fall to come and, and, and for, for them to be full up again. That's, that's going to be awesome. And I hope everybody continues to be safe in how they go about doing it and, and, and that they fill that place. Let's talk a little football, man. FSU is actually practicing. They're putting out some highlights from practice. Obviously, media is not allowed at practice. They're you know, they're having guest speakers via Zoom. They're, they're trying to make this thing as normal of a fall practice as they possibly can. They're focusing a little bit more on individual work right now than they are on uh, teamwork so far. But yet, they're still like they're not in pads yet. But they are they are in shells. For those of y'all who don't know, shells are you know shoulder pads. And girdles, but 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 not not pants. Uh, so you're not you're not taking guys to the ground. It's not quite as much contact. You don't really have the same level of, of scrums uh, as you normally would. People like the highlights they've seen so far of one quarterback, James Blackman, which is dangerous but interesting. I see. I see what people are saying, and I think it's valid. I also think that there's a um, a want to grab to grab the optimistic uh, or, or to cling on to that, which can be uh, viewed as optimistic this time of year. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't think James has improved his release. And it doesn't mean that I don't think his mechanics are a hell of a lot better, particularly what he's doing from the, from the waist down. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that, but I do think that it's real easy uh, for all of us to grab one or two clips in our mind and all of a sudden extrapolate, you know, uh, well, he's going to cut off, you know, five interceptions. He's going to make a read faster, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, we'll see. Uh, I think the overall tenor is positive. Some of the behind the scenes chatter is positive as to how these coaches think. I, you know, I am glad that that's what I hear rather than the, the, the opposite. I'm a little bit skeptical as to how much you can really extrapolate from the amount of practice, what they're doing and, and how many practices they've had. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate something we talked about last week, uh, two weeks ago, whatever it was, I had a little bit of disagreement. Um, I do think there's a different level of buy-in and, and participation in the strength and conditioning program overall. Now, it doesn't mean that they've been able to do it in the most orthodox manner. Uh, but, and again, these guys genetically are like the 1% of the 1%. So if you look at a guy and he's got big biceps, well, I mean, no, no ish, Sherlock. He's playing football at Florida State on scholarship. These guys are going to be exceptionally uh, genetically blessed. But the team overall looks to be in significantly better shape. We'll see how much that translates to the field. 
uh, I do think that you can extrapolate small amounts about overall buy-in, et cetera. Uh, so I think right now the team is, uh, is in a good place and it's, uh, you know, as for where they could be with all the hurdles they've had to go over and everything else, uh, I think that there's a small amount of optimism for the overall direction as to where the program's trending and, and the overall readiness uh, that the team seems to be to, you know, moving forward towards playing football. I did hear that uh, Thomas Trader, freshman offensive lineman, I had a source tell me that, that he looks looks pretty good. I didn't really get more than that. I, like, not like, a, hey, looks looks like he's going to start good, but just, you know, I, maybe it means just for uh, relative to, you know, to some of the other freshmen. I, I was talking to somebody over there, and I was like, so how do you guys look? And he's like, the thing is, I, I could tell you how we look compared to a normal, you know, day three of, of fall camp. Not great. We didn't have spring. Uh, the thing is, like, how do I compare this? Like, how do I compare this to other teams? Cause they didn't have spring either. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I've coached ball for a long time. I know what I'm looking at with a normal off season and a, no, and a normal spring. You know, like, Oh my gosh. Okay. We got a game in this many days. We're going to get whipped or whatever, you know, or, or, or we're going to kill the other team depending on, on, you know, how we look. Now I really don't know what to compare us to. Because I don't know what these other teams look like in in, in their practices, uh, which is you know fair, uh, but still, it's like, huh, that's actually a really good point. Like when you ask your sources this year, how do you guys look? I think you almost have to guard against them being pessimistic, right? Like like okay, yeah, they're pessimistic. But if you talk to coaches from a lot of schools and are all pessimistic, you kind of have to apply a filter. We, we used to have a coach here on staff, if you recall, uh, who would tell you that they're going to get every single recruit. Right, and so you kind of had kind of had to apply. Remember this, the the, the filter to him was that just one coach? Or? It, yeah, it was a certain certain assistant who would, who would go after national prospects and was like, "All right, so you're going to get all five of these five stars on signing day. So let, let's let's rank them. Who, who are you most confident in getting to uh, to least confident? So we'll we'll talk a little more fall camp as this thing goes on. To be honest, uh, I really haven't done a whole lot of digging on this in the last couple of days, other than just watching highlights because. Hell, they only been practicing a couple of days, and on Sunday, you know, my thought was, "Well, well, crap, this is not going to matter because the college football season is going to be canceled." And then we were going to record last night. And I was like, "All right, well, let's push it back a day." So let's go ahead and record Tuesday night. But uh, man, you know, still a lot of certainty remains. But I, I think, uh, I think some some positive things coming out. A, a defense that could be really, really good, and and if you get that. You're just going to be searching on, on offense to, for for ways to score enough points. You know, can can you beat Kansas State and not like Cal or South Carolina? You know, can, can the offense not not kill you? Can you block the average teams in the league? I don't know. We'll see. But I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Something else I'm really excited about or to tell you. Congratulations to Adam and Jessica. Uh, Adam and Jessica, couple in Tampa. They are, I believe, our seventieth. Loan to the Nolcast. If, if, if I'm counting this up right, I think I think we hit 70. Congratulations to those two. I'll be sending out their shirts very soon. Very excited about that. And look, there's a reason so many of our listeners have chosen legendary home loans with Shannon Young, with Chad. Eight four four FSU loans. Eight four four FSU loan or FSUHomeLoans.com. Guys, go there. Check them out. Eight four four FSU loan. It's the rates. It's the customer service. It's the expertise. I did my mortgage and my refi through them. Couldn't be happier. 
I don't think we've ever gotten negative feedback on these guys. And so, I mean, that's, that's somebody I, I love. I love stumping for on the Nolcast. They believe in our product. We believe in their product and, and they support us. So we really appreciate if y'all support them. All right. So uh, news relating to football, uh, as far as the roster, uh, two players have, have opted to, to, to sit out this season. Something that, you know, all schools are having to deal with. Uh, we've talked about this in past episodes. Um, maybe in a future episode, we can look at this uh, from a more macro perspective. And I'm not trying to be uh, callous, but some of the names that have chosen not to play football are um, uh, quite beneficiary if you look at them from a Florida State perspective. So some of the talent uh, throughout the ACC that has uh, maybe chosen not to play. But for Florida State, two defensive linemen, uh, Chapman of Rome and Dennis Briggs, have made their decisions not to play. Certainly respect anybody who uh, surveys the landscapes and decides uh, not to play. Uh, we'll talk about this from a football perspective as this is a football podcast, uh, but we will just give a, uh, a little bit of an impact as to what it means to the roster. And uh, Chapman's more kind of a developing prospect. Briggs is probably more the individual that we're going to talk about that was in line to, to garner uh, real live snaps this year. So I ultimately like individually, I, I don't think either of these guys is an enormous loss. And, and, and I, fully respect their decision to, to opt out as I, I know Ingram does as well. There's a lot about the virus we don't know. And I know at least Chapman's case, I, I haven't seen the British quotes, but, but I know, I know uh, uh, Chapman, you know, has friends and, and family members who I, I think he said were at risk. So 100% respect his decision. I mean, these guys aren't even paid. So, you know, like to, to, to criticize them for not playing, I, I think is, is really misguided. As far as the on-field impact, uh, I would say overall, in a normal year, pretty minimal. Uh, in a COVID year, it, like we talked about, I think last episode, maybe two episodes ago as well, uh, the potential to have to play your entire roster, even down to some of your walk-ons throughout the course of the year, especially if you're going to be dealing with some flare-ups, is, is non-zero. And so being down two guys who play similar positions is, is not ideal. And yet, losing guys along the defensive line uh, is... A position where Florida State, especially on the interior defensive line, is is pretty deep this year. Now I know Briggs is somebody who can play both both end and tackle. Uh, Chapman is a guy I really don't think projected to play that much this year. Or if he had, my, my sources were not telling me that that he was really, you know, in, in the plans for a lot of playing time. Uh, but it, it Briggs definitely could be a loss for them. There's no doubt about it. Now I think. Getting the Mississippi State transfer is is a help. Robert Cooper being being in good shape is a help. I, I you know saw the stories written about Cooper about how he's in great shape now. I, I remember those stories being written the last two years as well. I, I think he's lost eighty pounds since he's enrolled about three or four times now, or fifty or whatever it is. But but you know it, it's it's just kind of one of those annual stories. I, he's definitely lighter now than he was um, in in high school. You, you got Marvin Wilson. You you have Corey Durden. Etc. There, so I would say that the impact is is probably not that big unless you have more guys go down, unless you have guys who have to be held out with with, with COVID related stuff, because you really don't want to play walk ons at, at at that position. I like Briggs a whole lot, but I mean I, I totally respect his decision here, and I, I don't think he'll be the last. By the way, I, I I think they'll have more. I think almost every team's going to have more. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think we've seen, uh, you know, we saw the talented defense lineman hit and, and the Miami defensive end who we talked about uh, last podcast. Uh, I don't think we've seen the end of it. Uh, it'll just be, you know, something we'll monitor, something we'll try to keep you all up to date as possible. I don't know that we're necessarily, I mean, it's not like, it's not like <laughs> anybody's going to break this news. You let this school break this. Last thing you're going to do is be like, oh, why? here so-and-so is going to sit out and then two days later the kid's not sitting out. It's just not appropriate. I'm kind of uh, needlessly rambling, but uh, it'll be fascinating to see what happens if there's more players out there. I predict there may be one or two more. You want to talk about the possibilities of transfer? Is it too? I do. Yeah. I wrote a story about this today. Uh, I, I think you were actually in, in, in traffic when this thing finally got published. Uh, but uh, so I, I spoke to a couple sources on this. So Barton Simmons, my, my co-host on Barton and Bud, uh, told me that like director of player personnel in one of the leagues that is canceled was worried about uh, about like maintaining their roster this fall uh, because they like they didn't know were guys going to be allowed to like stay on campus, were they going to be allowed to practice and use the workout facilities and uh, you know, continue to train and, and all that kind of stuff in anticipation of a spring season. Now at the time we didn't know what would happen there. We now know that the big 10 is going to allow all of that stuff to, uh, to, to happen. So I think the worry from the DPP director of player personnel, that is uh, from, from that side is probably reduced a good bit. However, they're still worried about guys transferring home uh, to be closer to home during the whole COVID thing, which is I think a valid concern when you consider what's happening with recruiting with some of these schools in, in States with a lot of talent able to clean up because they've been able to get the kids to visit, uh, and the kids never really had a shot to visit some of these other schools that are farther away from home. However, I, I did talk to some people, including one guy who's an administrator and another guy who's in compliance, and they basically told me this. And, and I already, I'd already written the story. I just hadn't published it because I, I wanted to wait to make sure I was right on this, and, and I was. I, just, I filled in their quotes. A, it's possible the NCAA could grant them immediate eligibility if these kids wanted to transfer you know, from the Big Ten or the Pac-12 to the SEC or the ACC, assuming that, that those leagues don't play, in, which they're not, and, and the SEC and ACC do play in the fall. But, and this is key, it's not real likely that they would. Typically, to get immediate eligibility waivers, you need to have the school from which the player is departing not not pitch a fit. You kind of have to have them agreeing with you. Had their best wishes. Yeah. It's not impossible to get it. So there are some situations where maybe what, like the reason the kid is leaving the prior school is due to mistreatment that the prior school is denying or some kind of you know, racist stuff that maybe not, maybe the school didn't do, maybe the conditions were hostile or, you know, whatever. Uh, but for the most part, you do have to have a school saying, yeah, we, we agree for you. Now, I asked my compliance guy, I said, what would you file? Like, what, what would be the basis of your waiver? And he said, it would be a lack of participation opportunity waiver. We have seen some of these granted before in certain situations. We've also seen, uh, like, if the school's championship for that sport is canceled, like, when remember when Penn State was not eligible to play for championships or Ole Miss? If, if, you, if your eligibility was basically equal to or shorter, than the amount of time of that, you could transfer and go anywhere immediately, uh, which is why, you know, like Van Jefferson was eligible immediately at Florida, 
when he transferred from Ole Miss or a number of those Penn State guys who transferred out during the Penn State situation. However, we don't know how the NCAA would handle this uh, simply because it's not like you won't have an opportunity to participate in spring, at least based on, on the stated plans of the Big Ten and the Pac-12. So it's not a true denial of participation opportunity. It's more of a delay of participation opportunity. And so that combined with the uncertainty, and I think uncertainty is probably a, a um, gracious word to use here because <laughs> I, I guarantee you some of these schools would not support a, a, an immediate eligibility transfer waiver for these kids because they're not going to want to lose them all to, to your southeastern states. Uh, those factors combined make it unlikely that you're going to see a whole lot of kids transfer and be eligible immediately for the fall. In addition, here's the other factor. You have to fit these kids in to your 85 and your 25. And nobody I talk to at all has been has told me that they have been saving spots in their 25 and 85 in anticipation of some leagues canceling college football and other leagues not. Like that is just that is actually not prudent behavior. It, it, if you do that, if any team out there actually does that and they have a whole bunch of spots open on purpose for this reason, I really want to get some stock picks from these guys. That like they might need to be investigated for a whole number of things, including time travel. Like, how many spots do you think Florida State has open right now? I think it's zero or one. Yeah, I think it's one. I thought it was one, but uh, again, you know, not not the the highway being built from the Big Ten to to Tallahassee as as maybe some would would want or, or hope. Now, question here: Somebody brought up, and, and I, I think this is this really has never been addressed. Do you get additional spots if you have guys opt out? So, could you fill the Briggs and Chapman spot? Uh, with two two transfer players, I'm going to bet the answer is no. Just I, I think it's way too short of notice for for NCAA to pass that kind of rule. I guess it's possible. I, I don't want to say that it's not, but I I think most likely the answer there is is going to be no. Right? Uh, yeah, fascinating. I mean, uh, it's just uh, I again, I think it's real easy to like jump to a whole bunch of extrapolations based off things and. So much of this landscape is changing kind of to circle back to the beginning of the podcast. So much of this landscape is now changing almost like a half day basis, you know, whereas previously it was maybe from week to week. Now it seems to be like from noon to four uh, that it's hard to see exactly what's going on. It's hard to make sense of exactly what's going on. So people kind of reach for things. Uh, it does feel like coaching search season. It does. It feels like coaching search season, man. Like I, like I, I, I I feel like nervous to leave my house at times because I'm like, damn, I got, I got to run back and, you know, like, shoot. Okay. This is breaking. This is breaking. We got to react to this. Okay. Like you, you take a spin out on this. We'll, we'll plan for you to write this. All right. Where are we going to put this on these Facebook pages? It's, and it feel like, like it's always going to break as soon as you go to the pharmacy. Right. Do you get the feeling DeSantis just absolutely loves sports? And if so, like, how is he not leading the charge to legalize sports betting in the state of Florida? Like this guy, you can't convince me that DeSantis does not. At least, I'm not going to say he does have action, but there's no way he like he doesn't want to have action on some of these games. Like He's like, all right, let's get the NBA to Florida. Okay, got that done. Let's get some of these high-profile transfers and teams coming down to Florida. You can join these Florida universities. Let's get this done. This dude loves sports. Yeah, they pushed NIL through. How do we not have sports betting in Florida? He loves he loves sports as probably as much as any governor since, uh, since W. Bush was governor of Texas, I would say. Uh, the dude 
dude has a, an interest in sports that you don't see from a lot of, a lot of governors out there. So yeah, yeah, good point. And I always leave it to Bud to circle back to the gambling angle. The guy who, uh, <laughs> I'm not violating any privacy here, but the guy who both complained to me and, and celebrated massive wins in, uh, in the Russian hockey league over the past couple of weeks and gambling success has always got it in the back of his mind. Somewhere. Yeah, we, we, we were recording one night and I, I had the, uh, uh, I had the comment league <laughs> trying to find a live feed on it. It was that was great. That, that's actually, that actually does not make a very good podcast, so I, I had to stop doing that. Um, man, I think we uh, I think we did another hour here. I'm, I'm excited. Might have to do another one of these. Shoot, maybe uh, at at the space of or excuse me at the at the pace this stuff is is progressing. Might have to do another one this week. Who knows back into the week or over the weekend. So uh, certainly appreciate all the support we've received and the support uh, that our sponsors, particularly Matt and his team have gotten from our listeners has been uh, humbling and would ask only that uh, you continue to do it if at all possible. So um, whether it be a five-star review on iTunes or a t-shirt purchase from, from Madison social know that it is greatly appreciated from the two of us Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And we will look forward to talking to you here uh, you know, in the next uh, three to four days. Bonus content, uh, Chip Brown of Horns 24-7 tonight reports on Twitter and, of course, on Horns 24-7. Uh, one Big 12 official told me tonight's decision, quote, was the result of blocking outside noise and all the pressures and listening to facts and making the decision for the right reasons. That's like, we, that's some shade, man. Yeah, Look at yeah that. it's aggressive. These, yeah. these conference meetings next, next time they all get together are going to be... Uh, um, somebody called it a, uh, the, a measuring contest, and I, I think that is, that is absolutely true. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. <laughs>